Next Chapter Podcasts. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of these for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. That's I'm in Love With My Car by Queen from the 1975 record Night at the Opera. It's also number 231 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, everybody? Hope you're having a good holiday, a good break, a good time for relaxing and maxing. Maxing and relaxing. I'm doing both. Uh, I'm on the road. It's a busy it's a busy two months before I have my vocal cord surgery. So why don't we take a look at where I'm gonna be and you guys can come out and, and support because I got some doozies. So January eleventh and the twelfth, I will be in St. Petersburg, Florida at the Sunshine Comedy Festival. Then I will be in Dubuque, Iowa at the comedy bar January 19th to the 20th. January 26th to the 27th, I will be in Bakersfield, California at the Well Comedy Club. Then January 31st, I'm doing a one-nighter at Zany's. Now I got a bunch of one-nighters, so I really want to pack these. Uh, Zany's, January 31st. Then I'm going to Milwaukee, February 2nd and the 3rd. Then off to Helium, Indianapolis, February 6th. February 7th, I'll be at the Liberty Township Funny Bone. February 8th, the Funny Bone in Columbus. And then we're going to wrap that little run up with the Detroit, Michigan House of Comedy on February 9th and 10th. Then I'll be in the Vegas Comedy Cellar for a week. And then February 23rd and the 24th, I will be in Canada uh, at the Hub on the Friday and the Comedy Bar on the Saturday. And then that will be my last shows for about a month. And a month and two weeks as I have vocal cord surgery, guys. I'm going to fix my voice. I'm going to fix my voice uh, and my nose. But you can get tickets to all those shows at joshadammyers.com. Come be a part of uh, the shows. They're really fun, man. I love what I'm doing on the road. Uh, the crowd seem to love it. Music, comedy, it's everything you've ever wanted in a show. Just like this one. And you can support this show, too, by joining the Patreon at patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Support the show. We need your love. All right. Queen. One of the greatest bands of all time. This is our first one, so we got a big guest. A legend, the one and only Craig Ferguson. Uh, if you don't know who Craig Ferguson is, you're dumb. You're a stupid face. He was the host of The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, The Drew Carey Show. He is one of the funniest people I know, and this was such a great, such a great 
uh, talk with this dude. Not only can you listen to him on this podcast right now, but you can catch him on the road, the Fat Rascal Comedy Tour. Uh, go to his website, craigfergusonshow.com for tickets and listen to his podcast, Joy, a podcast with Craig Ferguson. And uh, yeah, let's get to this. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on all platforms or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. And here we are with Night of the Opera by Queen at 2.30. All righty, all righty. Uh, Hello. Hey, Craig. Hello, Josh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> nice to yeah, meet you, brother. Much. It's very nice to meet you too. Where are you? you right uh, now? Uh, I'm in. Where are you? I'm in. I'm in Scotland. It's uh, so. Listen, I I don't and can't find the microphone. How's the audio? I think it sounds great. Yeah, you sound, yeah, sound alright. Yeah, Adam, how is that? Adam's my producer. He's a guy that's up on top. Um, the guy well, looks, you know, looks so, like so every every union member for any production you've ever worked on. He's the guy that's like leaning up against a truck, like, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get yeah, to yeah, it. Right. Yeah, all right. So he's the top, and and you're the bottom. Then right? I, so, I, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm I switch, I switch sometimes. You know, I'm depending. He'll be on top. I'll be on bottom. Price. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> what a perfect way to open up talking about Queen, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's uh, interesting. It's interesting because it's, uh, are we going? Are we starting? We're going. We we're going. We're rocking okay. and rolling. Yeah, it's because this is, what a perfect way to start. You can't start it. Right, well, well, here's here's the thing about cause the, this album, because I'm very conflicted about this album. I actually listened to it again today. Wow. And I was like, I was like, hmm. This is okay. I have mixed feelings about this album, uh, I, which I will share with you over the course of our adventure in sound and audio today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you want me? Do you want to lead, or do you want me to lead? Because I, I, the first question I top have. Top bottom. Top bottom. I want to. I want to go top. I want to go top. Okay. I want to go in. I want to go, go in. Top. I want to ask you. I want to ask you because you're you were a punk rock drummer. Am I right? Right. Okay. So can you? be a punk rock drummer and still love Queen at the same time? Like, can the members of the band, are, are you are you being made fun of? Are you like, does yes. that ruin your credibility as a punk rock drummer? Well, yes and no is the answer. He, here's what happened with the album, because I, I listened to it again today. Because yeah. I was 13 when this album came out, right? Okay. So I wasn't quite in bars getting fucked up and playing drums with terrible punk rock bands yeah but i was uh but i was very interested in music and i was going to see i was going to see bands and i had seen queen live before this album came out because the first three albums queen one queen two and sheer heart attack which are great fucking much heavier albums yeah. than than uh, than a night of the opera. Night of the opera was a real shift for yes. that band. Yes. And it and it was a and it was a real shift because you know I'm 13 years old so obviously there's a real shift happening in my life at the time as well. So so there's songs some songs in the album that like you know you're you're part a kid, you're part a, a, a teenager. So songs like you know I'm in love with my car you're like yeah and then yeah. 
when the the grown up part of you thinks, really, I told my girl I have to forget her. I have to go get a new carburetor. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, so, but I I loved that band, and I remember seeing them in Glasgow Apollo. I must have been the night of the opera tour. I, it must have been. It was right about the time this album came out. And I remember Freddie saying, because obviously I was very young, but I remember Freddie saying, oh yes, Glasgow loves to rock, doesn't it? He was all kind of angry because when they were playing the, the, uh, the kind of quiet, you know, lazing on a Sunday afternoon thing, people were like, play some harder music. Because yes. it was... It was tough for the fans of the band who had been into the first three albums. The first three albums are are, are a different band. Totally They're different, a different band, yeah. band. Yeah. And and I think that uh, oh, they played Glasgow December that year. I just uh, December. Just up. Yeah, December fifteenth and December eighteenth, nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. Right. So that's when I that's when I would have been there, you know, and 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 it was they were. Uh, I mean, I do remember, I mean, it was a great show and they were amazing, but everybody wanted to hear the 70s ride and uh, and now I'm here and Killer Queen and all that stuff, the real hard stuff. And they were playing poopsie doopsie doopsie doo dee doo doo. And yeah. you know, us, us early fans were, were like that. So as I got older and I was playing, you know, in bands of my own, you know, the, the, the kind of the hip allowance that was made particularly in early punk, the hip allowance that was made for Queen amongst, you know, snotty teenage punk rockers was the first three albums were fine. Some of A Night of the Opera was great, uh, but the band had clearly turned into a direction that, you know, many of us, me included, didn't really go with them. I mean, I, you could understand the artistry of it, and as individual musicians, they're all it's shocking. You know, yeah, but very talented. But I mean, amazing. Even on that, I mean, I listened to the album again today. I was like, Roger Taylor, my God, what a drummer! Yeah. And he did a lot. He did a lot of stuff on that. Even on, uh, if you listen to that that song, "I'm in Love with My Car," which he wrote, which mm -hmm. even they made fun of in the movie uh, Bohemian Rhapsody movie. They made fun of it because it is, the lyrics of that song are atrocious. But the drumming in it is very kind of. The the tom tom fills are very reminiscent of Ginger Baker or somebody like that. Really good. He avoids that high yep. frequencies and it gives it a real grind. So the so the the musicianship of the album, as I listened to it today, I went, you can't you can't fault that at all. And of course, there's classic songs on it, but but some of the songs I'm like, I, I still even 13 year old me is like, yeah, fuck you guys for this. What's going on? No. <laughs> they 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 made the shift and it wasn't it wasn't the rock and roll that you were used to. They were growing up. They were becoming they were adults. Up. They 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 had money. I mean, well, they didn't have money. I mean, we'll get all to all of that. But it's like they this is I think if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the most their most expensive records they they they'd ever produced. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was it was huge. Yeah. And but this was this was like you know it's it's Radiohead turning into you know uh, King of Limbs or going even further. It's the Beatles going further yes. in a different direction. It's like you can't just keep playing the same music over. I agree. Some bands have some bands have made a whole career out of that, and sure. and, and, it, and great careers and and people love them for that. But but I think as artists and you know it because I know you you've shifted a few times sure. is that yeah. you, you just get to a place where it's like we could keep doing this but for some reason i'm being pulled in this direction so so collectively as the punk rock drummer were you were you 
vocal about your love of Queen or, you know, later in life when you were still playing or by that point where you were already like, yeah, now it's about this. Now it's about well, the Well, there was a point. There was a point in punk, uh, run about when I was just a little bit older than that. So run about 1977, 78, when the only artists you were allowed to like were Eggy and David Bowie. That was it. You know, and then if there wasn't a punk band, you were only allowed to, you weren't allowed to like Zeppelin, even Sabbath. You know, it was like, no, they, uh, oh, you had to be part of the little cult that we were doing. It was the Pistols, the Damned, uh, Susie and the Banshees, you know, it was like all the, you know, the Buzzcocks magazine, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you couldn't, you know, be vocal about liking any other stuff. Now, that's not to say that some of us weren't sneaking off and listening to Zeppelin 4 and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and because of course you, if you like music you can't you can't not like the music because of your friends but yeah but but it was there was a real you weren't allowed to smoke marijuana you 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 had to like drink alcohol and take speed speed was an acceptable drug marijuana was not an acceptable drug there were punk was weird because there was a whole set of rules that the, about what you could and couldn't do, which seems kind of counter punk, really. But I mean, that that's yeah. what it was. It was it was fashion, though. It was fashion, and it was. But but to to return to the album thing, I always loved the band. I always thought Queen were a great band. But I have to say, I think I think I departed as I was a rabid fan for the first three albums, and I loved uh, A Night at the Opera when it came out. It was one of these albums that. You're right, it was very expensive to make and there was hype about it before it came out. I mean, that happens all the time now when a band's going to release an album, but then it was like, they're going to release, it's going to be called an A&E opera and there's going to be opera music in it. And we were all like, oh, what the hell? And <laughs> and it was, it was a big, uh, it was a big event and it had this big fancy gatefold cover and we were all disappointed because we thought it was going to be a double album, but it was just a gatefold album and it didn't have two albums in it. Yeah. And it was, but it was an event. It was definitely an event. I stayed a fan of the band, but it shifted. I was always like, you know, like you you can't not see someone like Fred on stage and go, oh my God, that's unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. But, and, and one of the greatest performers I've ever seen. Um, but he's, I've seen everybody, I think, but he's, uh, but the band themselves, I stopped buying the albums after a night of the over. I didn't even buy a day at the races. I was like, yeah, okay, we're done. Yeah. Uh, I still remember my dad watching, god damn, it was like PBS or something, and they were showing Queen live at Wembley. And I, god, I don't know how old I was, maybe late teens, maybe early 20s, no older than that. And, you know, he's got the, the King's regalia on, like that <laughs> long thing. And my dad, yeah. who I always think might have been kind of a closeted, maybe not a homosexual, but maybe bi, I don't know. He was, you know, okay. my mom. But this, there's a thing about my dad. He had a very effeminate side to him as well but my dad just right. looking at freddie like he's the king that's the great and my dad was like a like a jazz guy and for him to fucking look at freddie mercury as like that's the greatest rock star that might have ever lived I, and and for me that was the moment where i was like oh maybe i should start listening to more queen and because you know you're always trying to do whatever your dad's doing and because and yeah. he got me into music and that was what kind of started me off into my journey and this was the record that i started with like, cause I oh, knew Bohemian, I started with Bohemian Rhapsody. I didn't go back and listen to the other three records until much later. Like this oh, is, that's interesting. 
Yeah, I wonder this, how I'd have been if I'd have started with that album. I mean, I it, think you would have. I think for most people, if you start with this record, I mean, you're you're tuning into what could be considered one of the greatest rock and roll records of all time. I think this is. Oh, it, I, oh no, oh no, it is, it is. But there are like it's it's things like you know it's people get mad when if you take an iconic album like A Night of the Opera and you say there's a song on this that just doesn't hold up, you know, and and people are like they all hold up, they're all great, and you go no. I, one of the great things I think about when you listen to albums is that you get to a song and you're like, eh, you know, but it, it you go on a kind of journey that the band take you on. That's why I don't really like, I like listening to albums. I listen to vinyl. I listen to the, like when I listen to this album today, I listen to it the same way I listened to it in 1975 or 76 when I probably got my hands on it. But yeah. uh, the, it was, and it's, and it's, it's a great album. And the musicianship is great, and the band are no doubt great, and Freddie is fantastic. But there are songs in that album that I'm like, maybe thirteen year old me was was like in love with it, but I don't. You don't. Stay, I don't stay in love with it. only a few songs. Even in bands you're talking about, like say the Rolling Stones or something, mm-hmm. there's only a there's only a few songs that I stay with the whole time. Yeah, like the songs like you know like Bohemian Rhapsody never never gets old. Never, never once. Never. Um, but um, but there are songs that the that, that in the album. What was the one today? I thought, God Almighty! I think it was "I'm in Love with My Car." Yeah, it was the it's... one where I thought, "Geez, that's a rough lesson." Um, <laughs> it's and not. It's, it's not so much that it's rough. It's just that it's about. It's called "I'm in Love with My Car," and you're like. You're like, I mean, this is such a like like a dildo-y thing to sing about, but <laughs> but like, but also, it, but it really is a good song if you re, if you strip the actual the music the is mu- outstanding. exactly outstanding. yeah 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 and and, and that's I, and that's what's weird about it because when you like, I almost wish I could listen to it without the vocal track on it just to yeah. listen because it's amazing. Yeah, and, it really you is. Know, the song that the, and then it's kind of like on the top of it, you think. You almost want to say, "Well, that's good," but let Freddie write the words and 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 do it again. You know, I mean, look, it, it is what it is. I'm not trying to poke holes in one of the greatest rock no, albums. No, ever. but but it was interesting to me today. And also, you get older, like you said about the band. The band were getting older. The band yeah. matured. They were turning into something else, and and so was I. You know, and music was too. And it was interesting because Queen, up until that album, Queen were. Like they belonged to what would become the punk rock people, you know. I mean, they belonged to the slightly the dirtier late night kind of uh, fanzines, as it was then. You know, there was no like social media, obviously, but but you know, you would you would read the NME or Sounds or the Melody Maker, these music papers, and and Queen was almost like an underground band. They were very very hip, and that album was so huge that it it was almost like you know when people complain when bands become really successful because they oh, yeah. I was one of those I was one of those guys when the band you know I was 13 years old and I loved the band and I guess I've been listening to them since since I was what, 11 or 12 I don't know I mean I always loved music and I had an older brother who loved music and he loved Queen so you know and and I would just like you said with your dad I was with my older brother he would like whatever he wrote on his school bag like he would write you know, the names of bands, all the kids used to write names of bands on their Adidas bags, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would look at the name of the band on the older kids' bag and then he'd find out and go and get them. Because one of the greatest shames around that time that I had 
was I bought my first album uh, in a record store, which was uh, Brian Eno's Here Come the Warm Jets. Oh, uh, we, did, we, we did that on the podcast many, oh, many, I mean, right before the pandemic, I think. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's, wow. First record, Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and it was, but my brother shamed me about it. He was like, nah, that's no, that's, he can't even, he's not even a musician. I'm like, I think he might be. <laughs> You know, and, and it's like, but there are three three Eno albums that I love that they used to shame me over, which is uh, Taking Tiger, Tiger Mountain by Strategy, Here Come the Warm Jets, and there's one other one. What is it? Uh, Before and After Science. Okay. And, and but right about that time, I think it was very important to me, as it is for, I think, all young people, to try and find a music that, that, was, that belonged to us. They belong to the young people, and and I, it felt like with this album, it was so accepted. It was a great album, but clearly everybody, like my dad, listened to a night of the opera and said, "That's you know, that's great. I love it." And he liked it, and you know, and it's like he didn't like anything else that I played. Yeah, particularly what was coming down the pipe later on really used to annoy him. But they, oh yeah, I met. But it was. I think the diversity, the musicianship and the creativity of the album, particularly at the time, can't be denied. Like, they changed the game in production, and I think they changed the game in... Did they record that on on 8-track? Was that an 8-track or a 4-track or something they recorded Adam, that on? Adam's the, Adam's the fax guy. I'm the I'm the leader. What well, do you got, I'm Adam? I'm going to double-check what, what method they used to record it, but yeah. Well, what is the... Yeah, before we even start getting into some of the songs, I like, what are, what's the meat and potatoes of the record, Adam, that we really need to talk about? Is it all from uh, background? So... Uh, that you that you got from me. All right. So much of the material was crafted alongside producer John Simon, who joined the recording when Paul Simon suffered from writer's block. The album was recorded gradually over the period of a year with production speeding up around later months of 67. Uh, commercially, given its musicality, opera was a major risk. Uh, the final version left UK music execs nervous due to its due to it being an unprecedented financial gamble. Too many of this eclectic set of songs failed to rock or pop out, commercially speaking. It was reportedly the most expensive album ever recorded at the time of its release until Fleetwood Mac's Tusk in 78. This um, wanted me to ask you a question before we start getting into the record. Has there ever been... Uh, you know, how much, they, so the, the album cost so much and how much time they devoted to it. What is the most foolish or like look down upon thing that you've ever done that turned out to be a huge success? Me? Yeah, you. Uh, oh, oh, late night television, without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. I, I thought I was in for two days. Really? I thought, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought well, well they, clearly they've made a mistake and they asked the wrong guy and this bullshit is going to last maybe to the end of the week. Uh, <laughs> it, it changed my fucking life. Of I course. Mean, yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I really, I swear to God, I, it was one of, you know, when you like, you go to a gig and you're like, oh, that's no fucking, this is stupid, but I'm, yeah. I'm here. So I might as well do it. Yeah. And, and it just, wow. You know, you, it, it was crazy in a different direction, and I was I was amazed by that. That that was a shocker to me. Like yeah. I, I I've never I've never quite recovered from that. And people still say to me like, "We'll say things like, you're uh, I really loved your interview,' and I'm like, I, I don't do interviews. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ever. 
like I've done an interview in my life. I'm like, I don't know. I've never trained at that. I'm not a journalist. I don't know what to do. And, you know, I think it's a little different now because of stuff like what you're doing, like you're a, a comic and I know you as a comic and I, I you're a comedian and I see you as a comedian and, and all comedians do podcasts. It's kind of part of the gig now. And you find mm -hmm. something you like and like you're doing this one and, and you do a podcast. But back then, I I was like, I had been doing Eighth Banana on a sitcom to pay the rent, you know, yeah. on the Drew Carey show. And then that thing happened. I mean, it was just a very odd direction. I, I remember when I was a punk rocker, I used to say, you'll never get me wearing a suit and sitting behind a desk. And it used to occur to me a lot of nights when I was fucking wearing a suit and sitting behind a desk. So tell me about the movie. <laughs> when did you realize you weren't getting fired? Like, when? how far in? Like, was it really like you got past a week, you were like, I'm still going, and then you got past a month? But when did you realize yeah. that CBS fucking loved you? Because, you, dude, you were great. Oh. You realized that. You were, like, probably one of the most fun hosts on late-night television still to this day. You know what I mean? That I think what it was was this. It was a it was an anomaly in television. CBS didn't love me. They fucking hated me. Really? But what they did, yeah. But the thing was, Dave, Dave Letterman owned the time slot. They had done a deal with Dave earlier to I don't know if CBS hated me, but they just didn't give a fuck about me. But that Dave had done the had done the deal earlier. So he owned the time slot. It was his as long as he was on the air. Mm -hmm. So he could put on it pretty much what he wanted. And Dave, like, Dave liked me because Dave's crazy. And um, and he said, no, this, this will be funny. <laughs> 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 and, and, uh, and Dave and Peter LaSalle, uh, and, and uh, I think that was kind of it, uh, put me into the, the time slot. And CBS kind of forgot about it because they knew they couldn't really do anything when Dave was there. And when I figured out that they weren't going to fire me, not because of anything I was doing, it's because they were frightened of Dave. And Dave wasn't really paying attention to me because he had his own show to do every day. I yeah. figured, Jesus Christ, nobody's fucking paying attention. Nobody. Yeah. I, I can do what I fucking like. <laughs> and, it, and it went on for a long time. And then, you know, like a lot of gigs, you know, eventually you're like, eh. All right, I feel like I've exhausted what I can do here, but um, and then I stayed in another couple of years because of the money. But <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but funnily enough, at the end, because I really knew I'm done. There's nothing I can do. I actually, if I look back at the shows now, the best shows I think are the last couple of years when I genuinely didn't get a fuck and I knew I was going to leave. That's when we really got into you know messing around with the skeleton and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it just never ceases to disappoint. Like to watch it and always be entertained. <clears throat> I also think it was like a perfect companion piece with David. You know, it, it was yeah. that like, CBS just this. It was like you said, it was like David had full control, and it just felt like you guys could do whatever the fuck you wanted. Whereas, like whatever, not to shit on NBC and what they did or what Conan did, but you know, it was just it was so different and so raw and so fun. And you know, it was more punk rock. It actually you were able oh. to to take the elements of the shit that you did, you know, as a kid, and bring that into to the late night scene. Yeah, and I, I got, when I got the show, I got all the bands on. Like, I had the Buzzcocks on before Shelly died, and the Pistols were on, and I had the Damned on, and it was oh, wow. like, it yeah. was great. It was I had Echo and the Bunny Man on. And, oh, God. You know, funny. It was great, because I had seen all of those guys 
Uh, like Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunny Man, I remember drinking with him in Glasgow when I was really young. I was like 18 or 19. And the Echo and the Bunny Man were huge. And we had this big fucking mad night in Glasgow. And that was the only time I ever saw him. And then when they were on the show and I'd got fat and they'd got fat and everybody got fat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I went to see I went to see Ian before the thing. And I went, um, I, went I don't know if you remember this, but we went out and he went, Fuck off! It's it's you. <laughs> How the fuck did that happen? I, mean, I don't know, because I was just some drunk guy that had hung out with them for a night in Glasgow. We'd all got we uh, club and night moves, and we all got fucked up and all yeah. that. Because I was still in bands at that time, and uh, and I never ever saw him again until he was on my show on American television, which was the weirdest weirdest thing. It was great. Yeah. Oh God, I love it. All right, let's get yeah. back to some of this. Let's get back to some of this shit yeah. in the record. All right, okay. um, Adam, am I wrong? And I and I know because I was talking to Morty about it. Uh, was the band broke at this time? Yeah, because basically, like any other record deal, you know, around that era, they really got nothing out of it. So, and then all the writing credits, also like because Freddie was getting a lot of the whatchamacallit because he was had the writing credits he was getting the money so that way that's another reason why uh i'm in love with my car was important because roger taylor was the primary writer on it so like that's how they were getting paid and then because of this album they figured like it became everybody gets the same no matter what the royalty writing royalty credits are i remember hearing that at the time that the you know because i over because i was a kid and i was a greedy ambitious little kid and i played drums and i thought so the drummer gets to write a song because i had never seen uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, "What? Why is that?" And and I remember that being a thing at the time. People were talking about that at the time. It was there was a lot of talk about money around that album at the time, as I remember. And it was mostly about how expensive it was. People were like shocked and appalled. And actually, that was part of the impetus to what became punk rock later, because everybody felt that music had become too overblown. You couldn't see a band unless it was in a stadium or, a, yeah. you know, you, you, yeah, like albums had like, you know, like ceramic eagles on the cover and yes. all that kind of stuff. It was like fucking crazy. It's and everything. So, to go into what you're saying, it's music does this and, and movies did it when Cleopatra ruined the Hollywood studio system and then they started making all the Scorsese low budgets and the Coppolas and New Hollywood and same thing with hair metal when when you have Motley Crue you know, flying on rockets and just like these, these spectacles at stadiums and then you have grunge. It, it's happened, it keeps happening throughout music where something's too big and then you, the reaction to it is is punk rock or, or grunge or, or whatever. So, so yeah, so this is yeah. like, yeah. And I think that's right. And I think that it, it's difficult. I mean, seeing it in the context of looking at the album now, and I think music's like every other piece of art that, you know, you, you, you see it the day, the first time you see it, and then the, the hundredth time you, you know, and the, and the, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, what is it, 50 years since that album came out or something? I mean, mm. it's got to be something like that. Like, I can't tell you how excited I was to get that album in my hand when I got it. You know, and I I tried to think of all that today. When I got the gatefold cover of today, and it's not a copy because I've been a very busy guy since I was sure. thirteen. But sure. but but I maybe as I got it in a you know <laughs> I got it in a vinyl shop. Maybe it is. I think it's who knows who knows. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but I I tried to remember what it was like, and the the 
unbelievable kind of rush that you used to get as a kid when you an album that had been talked about, particularly this album, because everybody knew it cost a lot of money. So everybody knew it was like it was a very special thing. Yes. Um, and I but I do remember it's, I was trying to think about all the stuff I remember at the time. And I remember, as it turned out, December 1975, when I saw Queen at Glasgow Apollo, that Freddie was pissed because the audience reaction to the slow songs. You know, the, 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 like the, the whole kind of, it wasn't like people were, were aggressive or anything, but the, the energy kind of went out of the theater. And then when they did like the old favorites, Now I'm Here and, uh, you know, and Killer Queen and stuff. Yeah, the, the, just the roof, just, Seven Seas Arrive was, was like, that was the song everybody wanted to hear then. You know, it was just like, boom, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. People used to talk about that being an, like, it was like a punk song as well. People, would say at right at the beginning of punk, people tried to, and I'm sure I was one of them. You would try and get your favorite songs from your bands that weren't allowed into the punk lexicon and try and bring them in. So people would say about editions of you by music or anything by Eggy or, um, I remember this was this was British punk. We we were only beginning to hear about the Ramones and and uh, and. And what was coming out in television and stuff that was coming out in New York City, which really yeah. was running right at the same time. Sure, yeah. Um, maybe I think the New York stuff, maybe even earlier. To be honest, I, I think that that I think that Malcolm had gone to New York and seen seen the future and brought it back. Mm -hmm. I, that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like think about what's going on. You know, seventy five. Um, I don't even think like Queen in America had had that much success yet. They hadn't um, happened at that point, I don't think. No, it took a couple albums before they really blew up, and and with News of the World, which uh, which had like We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, right? Which, which made me want to ask you this question: What was it like when you came to do the Drew Carey show as like a British comedian that really didn't have a huge track record in America? I mean, same thing that might have applied to the fucking late night talk show thing, where they're like, why are they? Why is this? Why is this Scottish guy the boss in a fucking Ohio, you know, uh, office building like this? Like, how the fuck does a Scottish guy make his way in here? You know what it was? What? Here's what it was. It was like I was in L.A. looking for a gig, right? Just auditioning like everybody else, looking yeah. for a job. And there was some mix up and I got asked to go to audition for the part of the Hispanic photographer in a show called Suddenly Susan with Brooke Shields. I remember right? that show. I remember that right. show. Yes, of course. Right. I and there was a Hispanic photographer part. So I get, I, I like, I didn't know what it was. I get the sides. I'm like, oh, this is stupid. Now I was saying to my buddy, I'm not going to go. And he went, fucking go. You know, what do you, what do you needed in surgery, doctor? You don't have a fucking job. Just go. <laughs> so, so I went, all right. So I go, I learned that I, I learned the sides and I go to the audition. And I get there, and there's a whole bunch of guys that all look like Antonio Banderas waiting to go in to audition. And, me, right? and I'm like, oh, no, man. So I go in. I wait my turn. They call me. I go in, and the, the producers and, and everybody look at me like, oh, what the fuck? And, I'm like, and I start talking, and I, like, I'm not going to do it. But I did this kind of horrible attempt at Speedy Gonzalez accent. Oh, stuff. I mean, it was bad. And they were fucking howling with laughter. And I said, look, I'm really sorry for wasting your time. I did my best. And, and then I was <laughs> talking. And the casting director for Warner Brothers 
uh, said to me, a guy called Tony Sepulveda said, obviously. Oh my God, I know, I know, I love Tony. Dude, huge, huge fan of Tony Sepulveda. He's been a, he's been a big supporter of my career. Hasn't booked me in shit, but I love the guy to death. (laughs) Well, I love him too. Tony changed my life because at the end of the edition, he was laughing and he said, obviously you're not right for this job. I said, I know that. I'm sorry for wasting your time. And he said, yeah, but we are, there's a, there's a show that's kind of beginning to happen and they're looking for an English boss. Can you do an English accent? And I said, see, St. George, yes, I can. And, <laughs> and, and then he, uh, then I went and I talked to, uh, talked to Drew and Bruce Helford. And the reason why I stayed on that show, I think, is, is really because of Drew, because Drew obviously is from Cleveland and Cleveland, Ohio is like Glasgow, Scotland. And they're very similar cities and we got on very well and his background is very similar to mine. He was a stand-up and he, you know, and we, we got along and, you know, and I, I felt like these, the, it was Drew that said this. He said, you're the kicker on the show. You just come out, you hit a line and then leave. That's it. And I was like, fine. And, and that's the way it kind of went. And it, you know, it, it got me going uh and i was on that show for like 10 years or something yeah yeah it was it was and it was great because it allowed me because i didn't do that much i would write movies in my trailer and then we would go and shoot independent movies and all that during the break it was fun yeah i mean talk about a fucking a, just a great gig for you to really showcase oh. this one how funny you are to work with such funny people everybody on that show is just is a comedian at the top of their craft. I would say like Drew's Drew knew what he was doing. Just but he put so many talented people around him, which made him he didn't have to be the funniest guy. He just literally could let any of you, like you said, just come in, say the say the banger of a line, get the fuck out of there. Well, and also Drew's like you know that vibe that you get in a green room and when, when comics are riffing and, and enjoying each other and having yeah. and, and laugh and there's no there's nothing but just the fun of the situation. That was a lot of the vibe of that show that it had a kind of green room feel that, yeah. you know, that, that it would. And, and I love that. I love that about it. It just, it was a, also, it was a big time for um, broadcast television. I mean, if you were on a sitcom on ABC at that time, that was a big deal. Huge I mean, deal. now I think you probably get bigger numbers on a podcast, but then, I mean, it was crazy. Television. It, like, yeah. 13, 14 million a night or something like that. That's insane. Yeah. Crazy. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. 
I know the um, I don't think a television show on air has gotten those kind of numbers. Actually, that's not true. The last one that did it was was when Roseanne came back and then she went she went off her fucking rails. And then that it was just like, oh, my this got like 25 million views or 15 million views on that first episode. And then she said whatever the fuck she said. And they were like, all right, get rid of her. And and that yeah. was really that was it. That was the downfall. And you're right. Podcasts or especially this podcast, this podcast gets 30 million listens an episode. I heard 30 that. Yeah. million everybody's yeah. listening to this brian yeah. may is tuning in for this i heard one. that you i heard that you won the oscar for best podcast best, last best, year, so. best podcast i won i won the uh the the mercury music prize i've won I've, everything dude everything from this podcast. let's talk about some of the tracks off this album because i think okay. this is a record that yeah you know i was talking to morty well by the way adam is there anything else about the production or anything that i left out that we really just got we got a hit or anything no nothing from the background really it's you know now it's time for song stuff i think let's let's talk yeah let's talk songs um yeah. so death on two legs which i have come under the assumption and from reading it this is a fuck you am i right adam oh, yeah, this is a fuck you to their management. Um, yeah. So they've gotten screwed by their management before this record. Like I said, they almost had no money from the previous records. Uh, this is their big fuck you. Um, before I ask you the question, which I'm very excited to ask, let's see if we've got it. He wrote this dedicated to Norman Sheffield, Queen's former manager and co-owner of Trident Studios. Queen felt that Norman had not provided them with the support they needed. It's so a Mr. Sheffield and the band parted company prior to the recording of this album. The surviving band members noted the unhappy atmosphere in the Days of Our Lives documentary, explaining that the band had felt had had felt uh was i was so hard done when they were producing hit singles without seeing any of the money and with incidents such as roger taylor being told he couldn't hit the drums too hard as they supposedly couldn't afford new drumsticks which is <laughs> insane this is a fucking <laughs> band like let the guy hit the goddamn drums but as taylor noted you see them the management running around in stretch limos and think hang on there's something uh not right here so did you know just from listening to this because i actually i wasn't really paying attention until i read all about this could you tell that this song is the energy of somebody saying fuck you to somebody oh yeah yeah no that was that was part of the 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 legend of the album was that you know the and also that they said it's my ass goodbye in the song. And we were like, oh my God, it was, you know, it was so, you know, profane. Uh, yeah. And it was an American swear word because we would have said arse, but they said, kiss my ass goodbye. And it was, it felt heavy and rebellious. That's actually one of the songs when I was listening today, I thought this holds up for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the, it, we knew about it we and it made the band feel more badass you know it made them seem more kind of like uh exciting basically do you i mean is before i get to the question i want to ask you it's like is is queen a badass band like i think now yes but i mean at the time where were they you know are they are they guns and roses kind of like if, level if of you love? had if you had been in Glasgow Apollo in December 1975, you would never have seen a more fucking aggressive, wonderful, energetic, amazing rock band. I mean, yeah. blow your fucking hair back. When yeah. these guys opened up, and they were, by that time, there's three albums that they'd recorded, uh, and I the opera, but they were, you know, they'd been working for a while, they'd been playing a lot of gigs, they'd been touring forever. I think I saw them like two or three times. 
and they were insanely powerful. Uh, I mean, of course, they stayed that way their whole career, but it became, it, it, as an artist should, when they first emerge, you should go, it should be really exciting. Yeah. And then they, they have to develop. And I think that's, that's what this album is. I think you were absolutely on the money with that. This is about a, a, a group of artists being the, you know, the bigger thing. Yeah. But, but because I was young at the time and because the energy of what was kind of around at the time, you've got to remember as well, Britain was a fucking shit show at this time. Yeah. You know, like garbage strikes and, you know, the miners were on strike and there was three-day weeks and power cuts all the time. It was fucking miserable. And the the idea of, you know, this hugely flamboyant uh, lead singer, dude, come on, wearing a, a white kind of mankini or something. And, and <laughs> a whole so much don't give a fuck about that guy. That, yeah, yeah it was, I think they were badass, and I think they remained badass. I think they were badass then. The yeah. sound of that band was incredible. Uh, completely. Um, all right, this is my question. I'm very excited to, to ask you this. So this song's I say, fuck you to their management. Uh, when have you ever had your, your fuck you moment in your career? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that noise. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I don't know that I've had much of that because really yeah not like when I've said like fuck you to someone uh, I I mean I've there's been people where I've gone you know what pal this ain't working but I I I don't you know with management and agents and stuff you do that but you know it's fucking show business it's not that important you can get bent out of shape about it all and and sure I, I I mean, my take this job and shove it stuff was always when I worked in bars or when I was a drummer in bands. Like, fuck yeah. you, no, fuck you. And, and yeah. that was the end. I, I think that, I think I, I seethe with passive rage now in a more polite way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I don't have a ton of that. Um, there have been times, though, that I've thought, this is fucking great. You know, the, there was a couple of times when I I was doing a stand-up tour about three or four tours ago or something, and I, just at the end of late night. And I used to, at the end of the show every night, take whatever mic I was using and throw it as high as I could into the thing. And it would smash every night, and we'd always get a bill for a grand for a new microphone. And, you know, the tour manager was like, why'd you do that? And I'm like, because I fucking like doing it. That's why. He said, it's costing a fortune. Like, I don't yeah. fucking care. You know, yeah. so... I guess that, if anything, but destroying, you know, decent, you know, sound equipment is not something that you want to hang on to forever. It's kind of adolescent, I think. Yeah, but there's something fun about it. Yes, there is. Yes, there's something there is. very fun about it. Like you see the great rock stars do it. I think if I threw a microphone in the air now, people would just think I was having a stroke. You know, so I, 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 I think I can't Should we check on him? Is he okay? He's like, whoa, his arm just flew up. Is he all right? <laughs> all right. Um, lazy on a Sunday afternoon. Um, this essentially outlines a man's week and how much he loves his Sunday afternoon. Uh, contains a paradox halfway through when he claims to be an ordinary guy from London town, but on Fridays goes painting at the at the Louvre. Uh, great song. 
Great song. Uh, great second track. Great, you know, from opening from that going into this. Um, Mercury explained in his 76 interview, that's the way the mood takes me. You know, that's just one aspect of me and I can really change everything on Sunday afternoon is something like that. I'm really, I just love doing the vaudeville side of things. It's sort of my test. I love writing things and that's what I'm sure I'm going to do more of. It's quite a challenge. Um, how do you unwind? Me? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm here in Scotland. All you have to do is uh, is be in Scotland for a while. Well, I live in the countryside in Scotland a lot of the time, and uh, there's a lot of unwind here. You know, I mean, I kind of, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know if the, if you're like this. I don't really like. I'm, a, I'm a comedian. I, 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 that's what I do. It's what I am. I would do it for no money, or I do it for money. I, it's, I can't really do anything else. So I write. Yeah. Because you're gonna need new stuff, and and I and I like that, and I work on it, but it's not really like a job. It's just kind of who I am. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna do a real name drop, but given that it's a music podcast, music yeah. history podcast, appropriate. So around about the time I was on the Drew Carey show, sometime in there, I'd written a screenplay that got a lot of attention. I don't think the movie was made, but the, the screenplay was good, and Mick Jagger read it. And Mick asked me to write a screenplay with him for an idea he had. And I said, okay. And I went on tour a little bit with the Rolling Stones during the Bridges to Babylon tour. And Mick and I were working on this screenplay. And it was to get to see the inside of the Rolling Stones and the machine and the legend and the, and the, the thing. It was just it, beyond belief. But what I picked up, one of the things I picked up most strongly about that time was Keith Richards. And that Keith wouldn't give a shit if he was playing guitar in a pub in London or a fucking stadium in New York City. He gets to play the guitar and he fucking loves it. And that's who he is. And I and I I feel like, you know, maybe he collects cars, maybe he has he I know that he likes books and that 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 you know and he does all of those things. But really what he is is he's someone who plays the guitar and he loves it. And I, I get that and I understand that. And what I do is 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 what I do. It's how I unwind. It's like I unwind on stage, to be honest. Yeah, you me know? too. Oh God, yeah. You know? I, I dude, I I've I if there's a day, I everything I could have nothing going on during the day. And I mean nothing in my career, but if I have a show at night. I'm the yeah. happiest guy in the world. There's there's a pep in my step from the second I wake up until until I get to that show. And that's how I relax. I don't have a wife, I don't have kids. This is that's how I enjoy myself. Right. And and I have a wife and I have kids. And <laughs> that's not the way to relax. But, the, but what's interesting is that I think about that. I think about that whenever I get you ever, you know, when you work on a movie or something and they give the I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to give you like per diem, so they give you cash in an envelope. Yeah. And look, I, I'm doing okay financially, but I never feel richer than I do when I've got a couple of hundred in cash in an yeah. envelope. Yeah, and yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel like that's what stage time is like. Like I can be on, I've done Radio City, I've done Carnegie Hall, but I'm I, I'm just as happy and just as excited to be doing the the, the you know, uh, the funny bone in Charlotte or, or, you know, uh, where it doesn't matter. You get to do the thing. Yeah. And something about, if you're a real comic and I know you are, cause I've seen what you do. 
that's what you it's where the magic happens it's where something happens you get inside something it's where you write in front of people that's yeah. what a thing i mean you write some but but then you write in in the open air it's amazing yeah. how are you how are you getting your kicks now in in scotland are you able to perform every night or no or? i perform here i i i go to america all the time okay i i yeah, I, I go to, you know, I, I've just finished like a massive tour and I'm going back to, I, you know, I live part of the time in New York City. So I'm going back to New York and I got gigs there and I, I always keep doing gigs all the time. There's always some, you know. Good, good. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's like, I, I, cause I, just, I didn't know that you lived in the countryside and it's, it's like, to me, it's like, I get it. But then also hearing you talk about how much you love gigging. And I mean, it's just like, you must be consumed all day long with writing because it's like, just because you have such a buildup as a natural, funny person and observationalist. It's just like, you see the bits coming in. So I can imagine by the time you get yeah. to New York, you've got hours of new material. If Am I right? Yeah, I, I have, <laughs> I just shot special. So I, I have to, you know, that feeling of, it's always, I'm always uh, envious of musicians like the, they write it, they get it ready, and then they go out and do it for the next 20 years. So I'm like, yeah. we write it, we get ready, we do it, it's fucking gone. It's over. Gone. It's gone, yeah. I just got special, and so now I have to write a whole new, you know, hour and a half. Oh, good God. It's That's fun. I love it. That's great, love dude. Oh, God, I can't. I, please let me know when you're in New York, because hopefully I'm here, because I live here, so yeah. I, I would love to fucking go out on, uh, just, just to, oh, just to no. watch you work. I, um, I, I'd love to watch you, too. I'd love to do that. That's great. I, nothing I like more. So, all right, let's let's get in. I'm in love with my car. Queen's drummer Roger Taylor wrote the song. It is dedicated to Queen Roadie John Harris, a boy racer to the end. There was still something autobiographical in this car as a metaphor for sex song. I'm not obsessed. Uh, the Queen drummer told Mojo, but I do love a good car. Uh, Taylor wanted this to be a B-side to uh, Freddie Mercury's Bohemian Rhapsody so much that he apparently locked himself in a cupboard until Mercury agreed. Um, like we talked about this earlier, you know, um, this is, you know, is it cheesy? Yes, a little bit, but you know, but it's because it's the metaphor. It's about sex. Okay. Musically, like we said, this is a, an incredible song. Um, it's probably the first like, you know, real like fucking just, you know, in your face song from the, from the beginning of the record till now. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, what is there a piece of technology that you have an unhealthy obsession with? Oh, uh, I'm talking to you on it right now, the, yeah. the phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, but I, I'm not in love with my phone. I hate it. I hate yeah. it. And I hate that, I, that I'm such a, I'm so kind of drawn to it. I don't do social media anymore. I finally show business. The great American capitalist system now has, you pay some people who sit in computers in New Jersey and they yep. tweet like you. And oh, yeah. I, I've got yeah. kind of like that, but but not probably on the level, but I pay for somebody to do everything. And it's, and it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you don't have to look at it because I feel like, particularly if you're a stand-up, you know, that I wouldn't, you don't try and get the audience all into your head. It's like, I do my thing. If you don't like it, don't come. You know, I mean, it's that it's, I can't, I can't do market research. I'm not in that game, you know? And I feel like the phone got me doing that. Like, oh, people didn't like that. And somebody's mad at me for that. And I'm like, if you're a comedian, somebody's going to be mad at you. It's mm -hmm. just goes with the fucking turf, you know? Um, and that's, that's fine. But it, I think inviting all that in. And then I never was ever Instagram. 
And then I, I went on it like maybe two, three months ago, somebody showed me that search button. Like, have you just seen this thing? Like you press yeah. the little magnifying glass and then suddenly it says like, uh, cute kids and uh, and and a, a, a pig wearing a hat and then someone yeah. driving a car and a plane taking off and a fucking, and like, bah, 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 bah. it's like Pandora's, it's like everything, everything. everything. Yeah. Like it's fucking crazy. And I, I had, I was like, oh man, that's too bad. And that's when I got off all social media. I thought if that's where it's going, I have to stop now. So I yeah. have an unhealthy, but I'm working on a relationship with my, my phone, but I don't think I'm alone in that. I feel like you, but I, I think you have to, you know, where you live being on the other side of, of, of so far away from the entertainment industry, it's like to be able to look at your phone and kind of have an idea of what's going on. I mean, I think that's a brilliant thing that, that now you can live in the countryside in Scotland and still be connected sure. to New York and Los Angeles and everybody. Um, but there, there's the balance. And I think, like you said, it's like when you, if you want to get lost on your phone, you can go down a deep wormhole uh yeah. an unhealthy wormhole you know which but but then also it's like if you can just go all right uh, this is the like a, a a pig uh, racing a duck okay cool and then you throw it away and you're like all right i'll look at it i'll get it next time i take a shit and if you only look at it when you're taking a shit i mean that's pretty good you know what i mean i think that's all right but but here's the thing i don't know if you know anything about me but restraint once i get into an addictive situation nah, has can't. never been my strong point same so, so, yeah so like once i get Fucking, you know, it, it's easier for me to not fucking go it, to be off social media than to. It's like I can't have one drink. I might as I well know. not have one drink. You know, it's like I can't do it like that. It's not how my brain works. Yeah, same, hundred percent same. And I, I obsess over everything. It's taken years and years and years for me to just get to a, like a nice baseline where it's like, I have the things that I have the things that I have unhealthy obsessions with, but most of them are like healthy things. So I won't even say unhealthy obsession. It's just, I switch from all the bad shit to the good shit. Uh, but, but I'm obsessed with that shit as well, which probably to an annoying what, what, level. What's the, what's the good shit? Yeah. I'm eating right, working out, you know, I, uh, meditating right. yeah. man i do all the stuff that la people get made fun of for which i don't live in la but i lived there for a long time so all the the holistic bullshit because i was looking for anything which is going to lead to the next question when we get into you're my best friend because um so you know and it's it's been so long at this point but the reason i do this podcast is because i lost my best friend this this brilliant comedian angelo bowers who would have been the next dave attell he would have been one of the biggest just set up punchline comedians of all time. And that's not just me saying that, that Sarah Silverman and Kyle Kinane and Bobby Lee and all the LA people. And he died far before he actually was, uh, you know, became the star that he is. And to a point where it's unfortunate where it's like, even like he never was into social media. So there isn't much of a footprint uh, of him, but in a good way, because it was such a horrible way that we lost him in this, in this car accident that we were in together. A lot of good has come from that, which is, which is like this podcast, this podcast, we, me and him used to talk about, you know, the greatest albums of all time and Rolling Stone in this list. And we used to argue about, should this be ahead of this and fucking that and this? <laughs> and then the goddamn comedy jam where the show I do where comedians sing a cover song. And then even my stand up now, which is very musical, when I wouldn't call myself a musical comic, I just know music so much and I sing so well, it's just who I am, that he was the guy that said to me, I don't know how you gotta do it, but you gotta, you gotta start working more music into your act because that's who you are. 
And so to go yeah. off, you're my best friend, which I could go through the stats that is written by John Deacon uh, about his wife. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's probably, you know, uh, one of their most popular songs. Uh, my question to you is who would you consider to be like your best friend, uh, whether in the entertainment world or in, in just, in just regular Craig world, like, Oh, my wife, uh, my, definitely my wife. I mean, it, for two reasons. One, if I don't say that, that would be, you know, a dangerous, uh, (laughs) she's in the background right now. Just like, (laughs) Uh, and also it, it kind of, I was, you know, it took me a while to to figure out, you know, in relationships, particularly a romantic relationship, you know, how how to be, how to have more the music in my act to be authentically myself. You know what I mean? And it's like Megan and I met. Actually, it's our wedding anniversary next week. In fifteen years, we've been married, and uh, we've been together like eighteen years or something like that. And um, and I, and it it's something that that's kind of grown over time and it, it's a friendship and it, and it's uh it, it yeah definitely definitely my my wife because it's a, it's a very unusual thing and it's and it's good because we also have sex and uh that's that's just like icing on the cake your best friend. I have some very <laughs> I have some friends like my buddy John who I'm very very close with but I I don't I don't think that would work yeah, no, no, you don't want to fuck Ron, John, or Ron, Ron or John. Do let me ask you this. Well, I, don't. I mean, who knows? It's twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty three. Almost twenty twenty four, dude. There's no gender. Um, what about your friends that you grew up with? Like, how do they feel about your success? You know, like, are you still keep in touch with all those guys? You still keep in touch with the people in the bands, and do they see the shift? Like, how did you go from being a punk rock band to suddenly a stand up, a brilliant stand up comedian actor? Well, you know, the, the thing is, thank you for saying that, but the, the thing is, it was, I, I keep in touch with some of them, but not all of them. And we kind of run into each other. I'm 61 years old. So, you know, we all have shit to do. Some of these guys have got grandkids, you know I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. It, it's not. It's a so, lot. It, it's a lot. Um, but what what happened is, punk rock, when it was happening at the time, when I was in my mid to late teens, uh it was um it wasn't just music it was everything it was you know it was it was fashion it was the clubs it was the, there were no stand up comedy clubs that i knew i never knew anything about stand up comedy there was billy connolly and nobody else and 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 what happened was that because we were all kind of together the bands would all play together and you know that people would have relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends and boyfriends and boyfriends and, and you know, and all these different things, mm-hmm. uh, relationships and all this community going on. And the reason I go into it is that Peter Capaldi, who was the singer in one of the bands I was in, Peter's a very famous actor. He played uh, Doctor Who. Doctor, Doctor, yeah, that's Doctor right. Who. Yeah. yeah, he was Doctor Who. Peter was the singer in in one of the bands I was in and and Peter said to me, you know, you're funny. He was into like American stand-up. Like he would buy Steve Martin albums and and that kind of stuff. And he would listen to Bob Newhart vinyl and stuff like that. And he said, You're funny. You should do do stand-up comedy. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. He went, No, when the band are changing, you know, when we're changing from one backline to another backline and the yeah. drum kits 
say stuff. You should go up and do stuff. And so I did. And it didn't work at all. But, <laughs> but, but here's, the thing. here's the thing. And you're a stand-up, so you understand this. One of the first times I did it was at the ICA in London. It was a festival of Scottish punk bands, right? Okay. And it packed, Scottish punk bands, it's packed full of Cockney punks, right? And I'm going to go up and do my little comedy bit between one band and another band. I'm in the first band, and then I come out, and I'm doing trying to do some comedy, and I thought it would be funny to wear a kilt. So I wear a kilt, and I'm trying to do stand-up, but I'm so fucking terrified my knees are are shaking, invisibly shaking. And these yeah. cockney punks down the front are going, his knees are knocking, his knees are knocking. <laughs> and then it became a chant in the fucking game, his knees are knocking, his knees are knocking. <laughs> they, they didn't kind of boo me off stage, they kind of chanted me off stage and booed me off stage at the same time. And <laughs> this is how I know I'm a stand-up. Because I came off and everyone was like, you know, patting you in the back and saying, oh, I'm sorry and stuff. And I went, yeah, yeah and I thought, I got, I got to do that again. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> There's the addict. There's that addict. <laughs> I don't know why, but I have to do that again. And yeah. I, and that's that's what it is. And I, I think whenever you talk to a real stand-up, they go, they're like, uh-huh. Um, that's, I don't know why, but that's the thing. Oh, Getting God, booed yeah. off is like, okay, let's Dude, go. I, I spent, it's funny that you said that. So this whole summer, I opened up for this guy. There's this big musician here in America, this country rock guy named Jelly Roll that's like taking country rock by storm. He's, 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 but he saw me on the show in Vegas and, right. and he invited me, me and my band, uh, who I do the jam with to, to basically go in between, start the show in arenas, arenas and amphitheaters. I would do 20 minutes uh, at the beginning, then I bring up the first act, then do another 15 minutes, bring up the second act, do another 15 minutes, bring up Jelly Roll. And it would be like, you'd walk into the arena and let's say my first set for the 20 minute set, there would be uh, one third audience. And then by the time I brought up the second act, it would be two thirds to full. And because I had that band, and that's the thing is like, like you just said, you going up there with just yourself trying to, at a, at a concert, Bill Burr, who's open for Queens of the Stone Age, has told me how hard it was. And he's one of the best comics alive, you know, sure. going up in front of a rock audience. Me having the band, it was almost like the cheat code for me to be able to get through it because it never was dull. And at any moment I could just go, instead of doing a joke or doing a crowd work thing, I could just sing something. And it was, and it was, and it was, uh, you know, it was almost covered where, where it was like, it was the, if there was any nervousness or if there was any, uh, you know, thought of me having like, ah, man, I don't think they're digging it. I could hide behind the music. But yeah, but even dude, but yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying it's like it's it's like it's there is something and we dude, we did great every show. But it was really it was just an incredible fucking 45 arenas. Uh every show was great. Um but I remember that like that first show that we did where and it's like imagine what you were saying is like because they I remember that first show, they they his management was like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I was like, well, I was planning on doing all three of those things. They're like, well, you're on your own. And and so I just go, all right, fuck it. And it's just like, let's go up and we're probably going to get fired after this. But let's just go up and try. And it was it was like it was just one of the most exhilarating feelings in the world. And I think we did great. I, I don't think it was bad because, you know, we never got fired. And, fired. and 
We never got fired, but it was just yeah. like, there's something about like, as a comedian, it's like, if it's not, you could tell somebody else, Hey, would you want to go up in front of all these different acts and, you know, at a festival or this, like I did stand up at a rave once I did a stand up oh. at a rave in Baltimore once in front of 3000 people yeah. threw shit at me and yeah, yeah. I wasn't even getting paid. And I, mm -hmm. and I remember people saying to me, why didn't you just get off? And I go, because I can't, because I got to finish it. It was my, I was booked. They're yeah, not paying you. Yeah, it's it's a gig and it's and it's this thing that we do and and it doesn't make a difference good or bad. It's like I have this thing that that's like I have to be up there and and it's yeah. just oh man, it's like I, I love it. I'll never I'm you know, you know how I'm opening the act now. I I I go up and I say to the audience, "Look, I I've been doing this for a long time. You guys know that. You're here and I've made a lot of money and I've won some awards and a lot of acclaim. I've done really well at this. So, if it sucks tonight, ain't me." The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad show. It's not my fault. The fucking math is in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always if i if i start well and then i start doing bad i go you guys just okay forget about this just remember remember the beginning when i was doing well yeah just remember that just think about that forget about this shit remember 15 minutes ago when it was going well um all right let's see let's skip we'll skip through a couple of these other songs let's mention them uh 39 it's funny that you we were talking about uh, we talked about your the, the capaldi guy um he brian may uh, who wrote 39 is uh, the song is about an astronaut who travels to a different place and near the speed of light. Is this right, Adam, that Brian May studied astrophysics? No, he's a legit astrophysicist. Right. Yeah, I remember hearing that. That was a big thing. It's not like he took a couple of classes at the JC. Like he's a legit astrophysicist. Like he's a, he's a brain yeah. hack. Really? Yeah, that's why that's why he plays the guitar with a sixpence. <laughs> sixpence. Because he figured out something that nobody else could figure out. I believe it. I believe it. He's considered science for a career. He dropped out of his astrophysics degree to start Queen. It caused a huge rift between him and his father, who believed Brian was throwing his life and career away. Even though he had helped his son build his signature red special guitar as a youngster, it was only when his father saw Queen play in Madison Square Garden in 78 that his dad wow. finally acknowledged that his son had made the... Jesus Christ! 78? That's like three years after this fucking record came out. They're already one of the biggest bands in the world. <laughs> God damn, dude. Is that all? Is that all like like British or you know United Kingdom families? Or like, is it all... You know, is it like, are you, were your parents like hard on you as well? Let me ask you a question. Sure. 
why are you a fucking stand-up? Is it because your childhood was so great? No, no. <laughs> why, why, why get up on a stage every fucking night? My, you know, my, yeah, you my dad. And he, yeah. he's the same. You know, you, you, it's like, it's something to do. My my wife, who is my best friend, says to me, all stand-ups have the same mother. And she says, cold with bad boundaries. Yeah, yeah. And ring any. Oh God, yeah! You're, you're, I gotta yeah. call her. I gotta call her as soon as this is over. Yeah, <laughs> I said it, I said that to Lewis Black, and he went, "Oh my God, that's perfect." I didn't look my mother in the eyes until she was 104 in her deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you're right. I get. Listen, I mean, I, I, I having a chip on my shoulder is is probably the thing that's been the biggest driver in my career. And and it and it keeps working, and so I I almost want to thank, you know, my mom and my dad, and and for for giving me the 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 all the fucking baggage that I carry around, and and like I said before, it's all it's all it's all it's it's not it's not ruined me, it hasn't ruined you, and it didn't Ryan ruin Brian. If anything, though, it's it's definitely you know I, I don't know I have a friend who who's just got such an easy life, and his parents just bought him a fucking house, and you know he's. You know, you know what? Look, we, we haven't known each other very long, and I don't know your friend, but fuck that guy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. I don't know. It's just what I'm saying. It's like he's trying to like make it, and I'm like, you've already made it. You already have a house. You you have two kids. You're doing great. Like you don't have that thing. Like you gotta have that thing. You gotta have some shit in in your family. That's what's gonna make you the star. That's what's gonna push you to to like to be this huge success. You know? Yeah. I I think I don't know. I think a lot of times in my life though I'd rather be in your buddy with uh sure. the house and the, you know, sure. it's, it feels like a more comfortable way to be, I think. But I mean I do it's me and my dog in my one bedroom apartment in, in Manhattan, you know. Uh, but you under but you said something that makes me know that you are a hundred percent a hundred percent who you say you are, which is when you mentioned the name of Dave Attell as a great stand up, I went, Yes. Yeah. Because to me Attell is the Velvet Underground litmus test for stand-up comedians. If you don't know and love Dave Attell, you don't understand the medium. He's he's my favorite thing about being in New York City, because I started in L.A. and I was there 14 years, is being at the Comedy Cellar. And not saying when you were at the Comedy Store, you weren't going to go up before or after great comics. But Esty, the booker at the, at the cellar, either puts me... Uh, she used to put me right before a tell, and now she only she puts me after a tell. So I have to follow right. him, and I'm and I, it's at the VU where I have the band, so I'm doing like musical, like fun, this really like the shit that I do. But but this is the thing is that like he like it was really cool the other night. We he uh, he went before me, and after the set he was he complimented my set, and then he goes, you know, I really wanted to go after you tonight, and I go, oh, well, you just should have told me. He goes, yeah, I wanted to see if I could follow what you do. And I was like, yeah, you could, of course you could have, you're Dave. Like, yes, you're, you know, I have to jump around like a fucking, like a dildo to fucking, to get, to get my shit. You just got to say one riff and and you got him. And that's why he's, but you know, that's, you'll always he's say the it's, he's the he man. Is the master. He is the he man. Really he's is. the master. All right. Let's, let's get up to, let's get to, I want to get to the prophet song because this yeah. is the song that, that my buddy Morty said, if I, I want to find it, he, he said, this is, this is a song that is more 
everybody talks about Bohemian Rhapsody, but this is the song where where Freddie does something. His he there's a part in the song that it, this echo thing that he does in the song that is super important. Let me see if I can pull it up. Your thoughts on on Prophet Song while I look this up? Um, do you have I think, any? Or I, think you have any? I think it's with the exception of Bohemian Rhapsody is the best song on the album, no doubt about it. It, it has it has a vibe and a. Uh, and and an atmosphere that uh, it creates from from the first notes, and that I think is a great a great song. Yeah, um, I like that song. It's I mean it's incredible, and he was the one that pointed me pointed it out to me. Hold on, let me see if I can find what he wrote. Um, God damn it, I can't find it. Ah, Jesus, it's gonna come to me later when as soon as this is over, because he'll say he'll be like, "Did you mention the thing?" And I'll be like, "No, I fucking." Forgot about Bohemian Rhapsody is about this. The album closes with God Save the Queen. Got screwed by management. Day at the Races. Um, well, here, while I look this up, I'm going to ask you this question. This this album is about, uh, is named after Day of the Races, which is named after the Marx Brother movies. Uh, real quick question. Who is uh, an unlikely inspiration to you? Oh, uh, with the Marx Brothers. Uh, the, the, I love the Marx Brothers. I, I suppose that, that there's nothing unlikely about it, I guess, though, is it? I mean, for me, that it was uh, uh, Billy Conley was like Jackie Robinson for me. You know, it was like before Billy that I didn't really see anybody who was from my background do that kind of thing. And yeah. and uh, um, and Billy's twenty years older than me, so so when Billy was in his thirties and really coming up, I was like I was the age I was buying this album, so it was all yeah. kind of coming in at this time. So. Uh, Billy and uh, and I think the the kind of mad cat I used because Scottish television when I was a kid they used to buy all these silent movies uh, just the cheap I guess they were getting them cheap so I would watch like Chaplin and Buster Keaton and uh, Lauren Hardy and the March Brothers and stuff all these really old movies that we'd watch all of that they would just play them all the time yeah so was Billy Connolly the first like big Scottish comedian. I think so. I, I mean, there are I other broke, ones, but yeah. me, he's Elvis to me. You know, I mean, it's like he's the he's the game changer. He's uh, I love him as an artist, and I and I, you know, and, and I love him as a man. He, he's uh, he's he's an amazing stand up comic. If you've he, he doesn't work anymore, it, you know, he's it's, it's kind of like he's done with that now. But uh, he he's one of the best I've ever seen. He's unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, I love, his 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 hour that he did, I don't know if it was HBO or something that I remember me and my dad watching. Um, I mean, it was was brilliant. And he I mean, it was just doing a bit about like about like shrinkage in the ocean or something, whatever it was. And just and I don't, and I don't know. And I think like, do you feel that sometimes like when you perform in America, you get a break because of the accent and because of the uh, you know the cadence that 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 the Scottish you know comedian has. <laughs> I think I think a bit of it. I think I think that's true. Probably at the beginning that was true. I think now they kind of know who I am. So rather they either like me or they don't. But yeah. but I think at the beginning it, it was you know people would say it, it's kind of six and one and half a dozen in the other. I you know I'd get like you know when I screwed up in that you know audition for Suddenly Susan, I got the job on the uh, on the Drew Carey show. But yeah. when I um, you know, I remember when I was looking for a job right at the very, very beginning, 
and I was in LA trying to get work and I went to to audition to read the audio book of the adaptation of the movie Braveheart. And I thought, this is the fucking shoe and I'm going to get this. Yeah. And the casting did my thing and the casting director said, we don't feel your accent is authentic. And I was like, <laughs> I, I can fucking assure you it is. <laughs> but, but they had to get the gig. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think it gets you some things and it doesn't get you other things. It's kind of like... <laughs> I, I, <for> <laughs> Audio like, book like, of... I know. Who's still crazy. laughing at that? It's like, nah, dude, you're not Scottish enough. Now, I, I couldn't get the fucking audio book of Braveheart, and Hilarious. I think I was doing in LA at the time. And it's crazy. That's um, insane. Yeah, but I, so you get some things and you don't get other things. It, it, it is what it is. Sure. Um, Adam, so while I we start talking about Bohemian, I want you to see if you can pull it up, because Morty is going to kill me if I don't mention it. Just try to see if you can find the echo part in uh, the prophecy song or the prophet song um because oh. he says because this is because he's right like everybody if you talk about this record we're going to talk about the next song you're going to talk about you're going to talk about uh fucking you're my best friend i'm in love with my car like, you know all everything but and, and it, bohemian's always going to be the track that this album is accredited to and what makes this album great but the yeah. prophet song like you mentioned i think is the hidden gem so look up that, look up that, uh, Adam. Well, I will, we bring into Bohemian, we'll wrap it up on Bohemian and go into the final shit. So this is what I would consider one of, if not the, I'd say this is top 10, one of the greatest songs ever written. Like you'd said it before, this is uh, this is such an iconic song that when it comes on, regardless if it's a radio or if it's on your Spotify, if it starts, you play it to the end. Because each part is just as important as as the one before it. Um, it is been ranked um, number seventeenth on the Rolling Stone magazine's list of the five hundred greatest songs of all time. It came in just ahead of "Purple Rain" by Prince and and Beyonce's "Crazy in Love." Really, that's that's in the top twenty. Okay, oh uh, yeah, fuck it, yeah, twenty twenty one. I get it. All I right, had to you double know. check, but yes, nah, I get it. I get it. Uh, this is essentially the protagonist talking to his mother about a murder he committed, then his journey into hell in operatic terms, which, according to some people, end with his death. Um, this, you know, this people say this is another explanation is is not to do with uh, Mercury's childhood, but his sexuality. It was around the time that he was starting to come to terms with his bisexuality and his relationship with Mary Austin was falling apart. Um, whatever the meaning is, we may never know. Um Mercury has remained very tight-lipped about what the the song is about. He did write the lyrics. Um, I mean, what do, what do you get from this? Like, I, I mean, before we even get, I could read all this shit, but like, I'd love to get your thoughts on this song or, or anything before I, you know. What what this song did, I remember at the time, and and listen to obviously I listened to it today was, yeah, I feel like it had like the epic quality of of the musical you know, arrangement and the journey that you go on from the opera, then they make you wait and they make you wait and they make you wait until you get to the guitar riff and then it blows your fucking mind. It's yeah. unbelievable. Um, the, the, when you're talking about the idea of, of at school, you know, at high school, run about this time, maybe a little bit later, but certainly while the album was still in, in, in current, uh, we did Albert Camus' "The The Outsider," yeah. uh, about and 
And I always felt, I remember when we when we read The Outsider, I thought this is this is I think this is where Freddie must have been reading this or 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 thinking about this. When I always thought there was the connection between Camus, The Outsider, and 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 Bohemian Rhapsody, that kind of uh, I've I've made a terrible decision and I'm going to hell. And I and I I think that uh, I don't know if that's true, but I I was interested to hear I'd never heard that that stuff before about you know that you said, and so I'm kind of like oh well, I'll bring up the Camus thing then. That might make me sound clever. But no, I, dude. But, okay, by the way, I've. By the way, that's that's a hold your thought. Like I've got, I've got like three Camus books. I've got Soren Kierkegaard. I got that on my bookshelf of uh, books that I might may one day read, but are there to impress girls when they come over to my apartment to think I'm some <laughs> deep thinker. I spent hundreds of dollars on these books, dude. Hundreds. You, you, you better, you better hope that these girls aren't Christian existentialists because they're going to ask you questions <laughs> that are very difficult to answer. Oh, I don't, I can't do that. That's going to be like, oh, no, let's not talk about that. Just let, <laughs> let's, let's just cuddle up. Let's talk about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I look, I don't, I don't know what you can really say about this song. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, it takes you on a, like, on a journey. For the devil or, you know, it, it's become bigger than, than, than the band, bigger than the genre. It, it gets into the pantheon of, of the the like like you said like the greatest uh, songs of all time. It's a great song. It's a massive, important piece of music. It transcends even rock music. It, yeah. it has. It's important in 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 all forms of cultural history of that time and since. It is an important piece of art. It's a it's a Picasso. It's a Degas. It's a. Yeah. It's a work of art. It's a masterpiece. It's a master. It's a perfect way to say it. This is, I mean, you could read the statistics, which is like, which, by the way, too, like, I mean, I, watching the movie Bohem Bohemian Rhapsody, um, you know, they're talking about like, this was a, this was a, this was their first single off this record. This is a, you know, almost a six minute song in an era when everything was three minutes. And they're like, no, this is what we want it to be. And this was, this was actually Queen's first top 10 hit in the US, peaking at number nine um, in, in April of 76. In the UK, where Queen was already established, it went to number one, stayed for nine weeks. Uh, uh, ironically, a song that knocked this off the number one chart position in the UK was Mama Mia by ABBA, which look, you know, it, same song, no, but God, do I fucking love Mama Mia. <laughs> Come Great on, let me go. ABBA. One of the greatest pop bands of all time, of all time. All time, yeah. Really, really it is. And people, you know, I'm not going to say people shit on Nobody shits on ABBA. Everybody likes them. Um, Ace of Bass is who they shit on. The, the copycats of ABBA. Um, Maybe something in that. What's even cooler about this song, which is, I mean, I, I'll say it. This is when I found out about the song is that it's from Wayne's World. A whole new audience, you know, from that movie that came on yeah. in that driving scene and they're lip syncing it and that i mean that took it back i think it went back to it was re-released as a single when that came out and charted at number two uh and that is in a sense it was a turning point in the legacy of queen um am i right about this adam am i missing anything or yeah, no because at that point queen's momentum was kind of starting to peter off a little bit and they were you know not the cool band anymore and that gave it a whole new life again you know, that gave them, you know, you know, 
Yeah, you know what's funny? I, I think that, and I think a good question is, is like, I, I mean, there's something about Queen. I have a vintage Queen t-shirt from 1980 that, I mean, it's great. I've worn it so much. It's so super thin. Now I have to be very careful about what I wear because I really want to keep it for a few more years. I wore it through all throughout the pandemic, but I wear that shirt and yes, it's cool, but but there's there's when you're wearing a queen shirt people there's more than any other band people will come up to me and be like that's a great shirt or like that yeah queen rules like is is queen now one of the coolest bands i mean obviously and it's no argue fucking freddie mercury might be the greatest frontman that's ever lived without a doubt i mean watching that performance at live aid of them doing radio gaga i mean that brings chills you know, to, to me, um, once again, my friend Angelo was the one that showed me that, but it's like, is queen like top five coolest bands of all time. And is this one of the reasons why, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think cool is not where I'd go with it. Okay. I think, you know, cool for me is, you know, uh, is the velvets or, or the Ramones or, or, okay. you know, or, or people, coming out of CBGBs and, you know, Blondie, Blondie and yeah. talking heads. And, uh, but I think that's just, but that's preference. That's not what sure. I would go with. No, I know, but I know what you're saying though. I know exactly what you're saying though. Yeah. Right. And I think queen to me, queen are the, they be right at the very beginning, very beginning. We talked about the first three albums and then this album. And, and if if and if I if I look, I'm not a rock critic or an expert in any of this. I just was there and listened, and I like music. But the, for me, Queen were cool in the first three albums, but this album and this particular song made them uh, NASA. It was a Saturn Five after that. It was it was huge. They were a brand after that. They were it was enormous. So I think they became almost like a genre in themselves because of the because of the the operatic stuff because of the the amazing idiosyncratic performances from Freddie Mercury but just the sound of the band I mean the, we touched on it before Roger Taylor is one of the greatest rock drummers I've ever heard he's yeah. an amazing and 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 the I think that these the qualifications of coolest or I just have I, I have difficulty with it because I don't really know what it means. Um, you know, maybe I've read too much Kierkegaard, but it comes down to semantics for me at sure. that point. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I like what you said about I like you. I, it was a perfect way to correct me. Like, cool is those bands like the Velvet Underground that not everybody knows about. It's the same shit. When something gets too big, which is what this is the record that made Queen too big. It was, you know, it was like, I remember Coldplay when they just had that first record or, and it's like, all right, all right. well now they're still great now, but just now everybody listens to them. My dad knows who they are, whatever. You know, this is this song and this record is what took Queen from being this cool rock band to suddenly being global. And the work, you and know, I'm glad a great song to do it on it's a great album to do it on and they have you know they've carved their their name into this stone you know i mean that, that and that's fantastic they were brave they were a brave band i mean you gotta remember even like in the 1970s and beyond even using the word queen that was a slur you yeah. know yeah and, and they they went at it man it was crazy yeah. i mean they were very brave and very gifted and it 
and I'm glad they all made a ton of money. And, you know, it's, it's sad that Freddie was taken too soon. That was awful. But, you know, he, uh, he, he left his mark. mark. He left, you know, but he, but it's, it's, there's like, there's, there's, you say too soon. Um, and yes, anytime you die at that age, yes. Um, too soon to me would be like, like, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain, Otis Redding died way before they yeah. became, yeah. he got, he was, he was able to, I mean, Kurt Cobain was even a superstar, but like, like Freddie was, was already, dude, they were already the fucking, they were the headliners of Live Aid. They were as big as big could fucking get. And he left, you know, whether it's with this and, the, and they did get to do more music after this, they were able to leave a really solid, strong Amazing. collection of music. Um, you know, which, like you said, it was, they went from being the coolest band, the best rock band, and then they're kind of cheesy for a second, and then Wayne's World comes out, and then they're popular again, and now they're just like, you know, in the, they're in the, you talk about top 20 bands in rock and roll history, if not music history, and you have to mention Queen, and, and it all, and a lot of it has to do this, so yeah, I mean, cool is cool, cool doesn't mean money, Velvet Underground, they didn't make much money, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. They they queen made money. some fucking money dude they they are well made. Uh, they're still making a lot of money still they're still still yeah. good for them um adam before i before we wrap this up is there anything i'm missing that we need to talk about i feel like i don't want to fuck off well just going back to the profit song stuff for a second no so basically it was because a brian may refer to that song as it's a shame that it's overlooked in the queen catalog rightfully so um, so they, that song kind of actually is a little bit, you know, early progressive rock because they were expect a they tuned down the guitars to D, which yes, it's a staple of new metal in the '90s, but that was kind of innovative at the time. Yeah. Two, they ran to get like the delay effects. They would play with the reel to reels and stop it, and then play and then record. And they also like did uh, an air condition. They basically got a, uh, a one of the effects they did was they ran an air conditioner through a phaser. So like they were. Uh, it, this is part of the reason why the album was so expensive is because they were trying all this experimental stuff at the time, because why not? Yeah, this is, this is in Britain, good. In Britain, air conditioning is very expensive. Really? So if you're running, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in 1975. You don't fucking, I'm in Scotland, you don't need fucking air conditioning. I didn't think you did. I was like, it's, it's always about like, yeah, over the window. I, you know what I think this is? I think this is, uh, this is Queen doing their, uh, doing their pet sounds where the, where the, where the studio now becomes an instrument. And, you know, when you have that technology, it's like, why not use it? And, you know, I mean, good for that. A good comparison as well, because it's a definitive movement in the band and it's a definitive movement in music, actually. In music, in, music, in studio technology, in techniques. And I think that's a great analogy is, or a great comparison is, is the pet sounds one. This is, you know, I don't know if I, it's, it's all the listeners out there. If you've never listened to a queen record, I don't know if you start with this, you can, um, you know, and you can go a la memento and kind of like listen to this one and then go back and to see how they get to this. Um, but this is, I mean, if you are a music fan and you've, you obviously know Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's like the band Queen, it's like, it's a fun band to be able to dig into their catalog, which I'm still just getting into. And I mean, it's like, like I said, I still, I'll never forget my dad watching him. That's the queen. He's the king. He is arguably you know, every front man in the history of music, whether it's Axl Rose or Eddie Vedder or anybody will be compared 
to 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 Freddie Mercury. And I don't think anybody will ever take him off the notch as being one of the greatest, if not the greatest front man of all time. Agreed? Agreed. Okay. So I'm going to ask you these questions. We're going to get you out of here. Dude, you all rule. Right. By the way, please come on all the time because you you're just you're just we have so we have a, we have another five years of this. So we got oh, other yeah. records. We got other yeah. records. I, I wish I would have known that you dug Echo and the Bunnymen because I would have had you on fucking oh, years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know right, what? Have you done any the the Eno albums or any of the Eno albums in there? Are they in the five hundred? We did. Oh, so it's funny. We did. Uh, we did. Here come the warm. Warmed yet. We did that yeah. uh, with uh, with uh, the guy from Devo. We did it with Gerald Casali from Devo. Is that right, Adam? I, that's a good cool. choice. No, that that makes sense. And then we did, and then we did. Um, I think what was the one that you saw? The um, you said the first record you bought was "Here Come the Warm Jets" or another one? Was it a oh, Green New World? No, uh, the before and after science and uh, taking Tiger Mountain by strategy. They're the three that I think important there's we did another one with i think you wrote it on here so you yeah did another green world with gerald casale another green world and yeah. then you did uh the jet speed up with uh perry farrell yes we did perry farrell from uh from red hot chili not red chili peppers uh jane's addiction. jane's addiction which we did at his house uh here he's this is i'll say this and i'll i <laughs> he he it was his right this is like uh, February 2020. So Trump's still in office and, and Perry would not shut up about Trump. All he wanted to talk about was Trump. And I'm like, but let's talk about Brian Eno. And he'd be like, they got kids in cages, man. And I'm like, but Brian Eno. And, and then after the podcast, he goes outside to smoke a joint. And I'm like, can I join you? We're outside. We're smoking a joint on his patio in beautiful Pacific Palisades. And I say to him, I go, hey, man, how much cnn are you watching and he goes i'm watching it all day long and i'm like dude you gotta turn it off it's gonna ruin your life trust me i know i understand that the world's a fucked up place and what he's doing is is crazy but you gotta you gotta you can't obsess over it he goes thank you so much for that he's like you're right and then he goes do you want to go jump on my trampoline and i'm like yes let's go and then we and then we went and jumped on his trampoline for an hour all right let me ask you these questions. I ask everybody. We'll get you out of here. Uh, what is your favorite song on this record? I think probably the Prophet song. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think to be honest, I think it's that one. I think it's a, it's a, it's a. I, I it's hard because of Bohemian Rhapsody is sure. so iconic. I, but listening to it today, today when I listened to it, that was the one I went. God, that's a great song. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, listen. There's. This is a. Uh, very very i mean i'm even loving i'm in love with the car like it just changes whatever your mood's in so um but i i'll always say bohemian just because bohemian is i mean it's like we said that it's that it's it's just just because it's bigger and iconic doesn't mean it's your favorite it's just that's just you that's that it's like how about this besides bohemian raps (laughs) what's your favorite song which is the private song there you go um all right um what's your least favorite song on this record uh, I think it would probably be, um, I think, you know, today, I the one that I was like, huh, was uh, Lazing <laughs> on a Sunday. Uh, okay, that, yeah. Uh, you know, that doesn't really uh, tickle my nuggets in the same way. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want a good nugget tickled? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, all right. Can you fuck to this record? Yeah, I, I can't fuck to anything now. I'm 61. I, I'm lucky. 
<laughs> but in the day, in the day, have, do you think people could fuck to this record? I, I don't know. I, I've, uh, I guess, you know, as long as it's not, you know, it, I don't think you can actually, it changes too much all the time. You, it's it's so you, yeah. yeah. There's nothing. I don't think you can either. And then to end it also, like if you, if you do last the 46 minutes and then have God save the queen, come on, like, you know what I mean? That's, it's too much. It's too much. This is not a fuckable record. It sounds like a challenge though. (laughs) Perhaps you could masturbate to this record. Maybe that's what it is. To the free song. To the listeners of this podcast, we're trying the, the, a night at the opera fuck challenge. Uh, if you can do it, you don't have to videotape it. Just, just say that you did it and tell us how it went and how far did you get? And, uh, we'll send you a hoodie. How about that? Right. Adam, you'll, you'll keep score. All right. What would, what would be your elevator pitch to get someone to listen to this record? Craig, I would say you have to listen to this record to, This is a great fucking record. You should listen to it. Look, I'm not your fucking dad. You listen to what you want, but you should listen to this. You, you like good music. You like this. Trust me. Yeah, I I think this is this is a is a very very important record in 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 all of music. Not just because of the one song. I think if you're talking about one of the greatest bands of all time, this is a shift record, and and the shift records are always some of the best ones. Either like you said, either they'll be argued about where it's like, this isn't, you know, what the music that I listened to before, or this is like, I love the new direction. Either way, uh, it's a damn near perfect record. So to all the Fleece Army out there, listen to us, tell us how you think. Uh, Craig, please promote away. Anything you want to promote, buddy. No, I I don't do that. It's unseemly. So it's been been great to be on your show. Uh, And... uh, and I and I and I hope I get to see you when I'm in New York. I'll be there yes. in January. Let's Please. Make some- oh my God! Thank you, brother. What did I tell you? The one and only Craig Ferguson. Follow him on Twitter at Craigie Ferg. Go to his website, thecraigfergusonshow.com, for his Fat Rascal stand-up comedy tour dates and tickets, and listen to his podcast, Joy, a podcast with Craig Ferguson. He's great. I'd listen to it. Uh, all right, new music. We have Francisco Yates. Little Rockstar is the album. Thunderbomb is his song. Dig it on the500podcast.com. Send us your songs because we'll play them to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week, Bonnie Raitt week as we go deep into a nick of time. Not a nick of time, nick of time. Nick of time. Have a great, great week. I for fun, so give me all the control. You're looking for some trouble tonight I wanna do all the wrong things right with you Red Louboutin's got it all going on I'm blowing up for you, baby Just like a thunderbomb Just like a thunderbomb You struck me Just like a thunderbomb Just like a thunderbomb You struck me No, your rent's they paid, you hustle, men and don't care You said it ain't that bad to use a bottle or two Cause you're a rock star, boy, but I'm a celebrity too Oh, yeah You're looking for some trouble tonight I wanna do all the wrong things right with you, baby Red Lewis Tone's got it all
Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.